once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. More from Daily Beast columnist Anna Marie Cox. What Christ teaches me is that there is only one kind of judgment that matters. I'm saved not because of who I am or what I've done or didn't do, but simply because I've accepted the infinite grace that was always offered to me. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Ticket, Imputed Righteousness, with this message entitled The One and Only Condition, Faith Alone, which covers Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Romans, and we're in the fourth chapter. As you do so, let me remind you, if you were with us last week, that I gave my opinion, and it's only my opinion, but I think it may be accurate to say that, that the single greatest lie perpetrated on mankind through the evil one is probably to convince people that morality and religion is the ticket to get in relationship with God. I'm speaking for the world at large, uh, the religious and irreligious world, the moral and immoral world, doesn't matter. Those outside the church, if you were to survey and ask, how do you think a person gets in favor with God, assuming you believe there's a God, it would come out by religious activities and moral activities or actions. That would be it. Now, if you ask the church, you're going to get a divided answer. However, the reality is that even in the church, there is this sense in which we are conflicted a bit because we know, many of us, we know that the answer is not our works, that we don't work our way into favor with God. We understand what we're studying in Romans, that the ticket is what God has done for us, but something happens in our daily experience where in reality we have this blended, muted view of, of salvation that somehow uh, thinks that there's somewhat some faith and some works and that has to do with how we merit the favor with God that we all need. Many of us are like the people of Galatians. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish that you would begin by faith and now continue in your Christian life by works, religious activity, law-abiding, and so forth and so on? And he says, What's happened to you? Well, the truth of it is, as I closed last week, we all have this, this battle with the performance trap, as we call it that I've got to perform to get the favor of God. The, the leader we know is Apostle Paul. Paul is trying to talk to his followers of the Jewish faith and say to them, uh, I want to clarify this lie that's being perpetrated. I want to do everything I can to resolve this idea that there is a mixture or that it's all of one. No, it is, it is by the righteousness of Christ alone. Here's what he does. In chapter 1, verse 18, which is after an introduction, he begins by taking nearly three chapters through chapter 321, and he drills this idea of 
the fact that we all have the problem of unrighteousness. Now, you and I are all born into this world. Every person is with a, a mindset that we are basically good people. And then you come to Romans and you hear him teach according to the rest of Scripture. It's not new to what Paul's saying. But he keeps reiterating this idea, there are none good, no, not one. Even as the psalmist has said, there are none who seek for God. There's none good, no, not one. And so he instills in us that we actually warrant and deserve the wrath of a holy God. It's not a real pleasant few chapters of Scripture because it basically exposes who we are. But the reality is that until we embrace and understand what might be called the bad news of our unrighteousness, we will never appreciate and fully embrace the good news of the righteousness of Christ that is given to us. So when he comes to chapter 3, verse 22, which is where this series begins, he then begins to articulate this idea of the righteousness of Christ being manifested. Uh, we often use the word imputed, where his righteousness is placed within us. That's what happens at the moment of salvation. We talk about being covered with the righteousness of Christ. Are we still sinful? Yes, we are. But seen in the righteousness of our Jesus, we are loved fully, even as Jesus is loved by the Father. It's an amazing story. It's why we call it gospel or good news. And so he tells this idea of it's the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. Now we come to the text that we pick up on today in chapter 4, and he's going to, in verse 18, he's going to start telling us something about faith, which is the means by which, I like to think of it this way, we open the gift of righteousness. Yes, it is the righteousness of Christ given to us. How do we get that righteousness? And so Paul is going to argue to the Jewish people, it is by means of faith. The rally cry of the Great Reformation was faith alone, because the church had embraced the idea of faith and works for salvation. Now, I want to make this as simple and practical. I'm going to review a little bit here. All of this that I'm saying, it's the misunderstanding of works and all of the religious stuff that helps us aid in righteousness and so forth, which it really doesn't. All of that has left us with this idea that the Old Testament is really all about law and the New Testament is all about grace. It's not true. You hear that? It's not true. The Old Testament was about law and grace. The New Testament is about law and grace. How did people get saved in the Old Testament? Well, the people who looked backwards are having looked forward. As you look forward to the promise of Messiah, had to put faith in him, and they were justified by faith. In the uh, New Testament, we have the advantage of history, and we look back to the historical Jesus, and we put our faith in him. So it's faith on one hand, it's faith on the other hand, both by faith. There was a law in the Old Testament. Now, there were multiple types of law, but the heart of the law was the moral law. In the New Testament, we still have the law, the moral law, and both are beautiful and very, very, very valuable. What we do see Paul saying is he is pitting law against grace in this one way only, 
salvation by law versus salvation by faith. People were saved by faith in the Old Testament. They're saved by faith in the New Testament. There was the importance of the law exposing sin and then living by the law in the Old Testament. The same thing, living by the law in the New Testament, meaning according to the law. Here's the difference. We don't look to the law in order to be saved. We obey the law because we've been saved or loved by God. So we never throw away law, and we never think grace was not in the Old Testament. So what Paul is doing, and we started this last week, he uses the two great heroes of the Jewish people. He looks to the father of the Jews, which is Abraham, and he looks to the king of the Jews named David. And he basically proves through Old Testament that they were saved by faith. By the grace of God, they were saved and they were made righteous by faith. And his thought is, if I can show you that your two heroes of the Old Testament were saved by faith, then certainly you people after Jesus, who are Jewish people, you certainly should know that you are as well. So that's what we've really walked through over the past, past few weeks. Now, let's go and first of all, look at our thesis from last week and now this week as well. The uh, title is The Ticket, The One and Only Condition, Faith Alone. We're in verses 18 through 25. And let's look uh, at the thesis. It says, Abraham, again the father of the Jews, who lived prior to the giving of the Mosaic Law, and David, the king of the Jews, had to be justified, that means to be made righteous, by faith alone in order to be righteous. All right? You're made righteous in order to live righteous, but it is the being made righteous that puts us in right relationship with God. Now, having reviewed those few background ideals, let's now look at the text and let's exposit the text very briefly. This is not going to be an in-depth exposition. We can't. We don't have time. Literally, I could take hours breaking down words and thoughts and ideas, but let's just hit the high points here, beginning with verse 18. It says, in hope against hope, he, now he is Abraham. He's talked about Abraham earlier and David, and now he's come back to Abraham, and he says, in hope against hope, he believed. And that's a key word there, believed. That's the essence of faith, is believing. So that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken so shall your descendants be. Now, if you look at some of the words hope against hope, it means in spite of no human hope. Abraham was in a condition of life that we're about to see in the next verse that made him literally have to think, humanly speaking, there's no hope for what I need. There's no hope to over overcome my failure. There was a promise to overcome but humanly speaking, there was no plan, nothing that could make it happen. Well, what was that thing? Look at the next verse. In verse 19, it says, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what had happened, God had said to Abraham, Abraham, 
Your name is Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham. Uh, Abraham, Abram is just a, a term that was a, a high father. It's an expression of, of, of the word father. But he says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Well, Abraham knew that there was a little problem, and that was he needed, he needed a child. Now, keep in mind that he's 100 years old, and that's 100 of our years. All right, don't think of it as something, oh, he's really young. And the, no, you didn't, they didn't have children then at 100 years of age. Sarah is almost that age, and her womb has been closed. Now, can you imagine how long they have been fighting with infertility? Now, you don't think they hurt over that? I know there are a lot of you in this church that are fighting with uh, infertility, and it is a painful, challenging thing. Can you imagine that if you were now 20 years into your fight with infertility, and now your age has gotten to such that, that really there's no way you can have children, and somebody came along and they said to you, by the way, I'm convinced you're going to have a child. You would, you would say, well, it ain't going to happen. It, it, there's no way it's going to happen. There's nothing that could persuade you to feel and believe it was going to happen. Well, that was the situation that they're in, except it's God that comes to them and says, you're going to have a child and you're going to be the father of many nations. Important to know that he's not just talking about physiologically, though he is, but it's really saying you're going to be the spiritual father over Many nations, which means Jews and Gentiles. That was the prophecy and the promise of old. So he gets this word. Now, what's he going to do with that? It's interesting to see what comes next. Look at the next verse. It says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Very interesting. The word waver there means to stagger or to discriminate, uh, meaning he, he didn't uh, argue with himself saying, well, maybe it will happen, but again, maybe it won't. Now, I, I think if we were to put this in the setting of reality, I mean, Abraham is a man like we are, man or woman, any of us, we're the same way. We're a people who struggle with doubt. You know that it was not, well, I just feel like I'm going to get my wife pregnant now. Uh, God's, you know there had to be this sense of, well, how, I don't know. But there is a greater sense in which, though he knew the facts, he knew that God's word superseded the facts of life. Folks, that's what faith is. We're going to be talking now for a few minutes about how about your faith and my faith? It says here that because of that, that he grew strong in faith. You understand that faith is not something that once we're given our initial deposit at salvation, we are given faith. It's a gift of God. Don't ever think you create your own faith out of your own goodness because there is no goodness. Therefore, it's a gift of God as well. But when he gives us our initial faith, that faith is like a muscle, and you've got to strengthen the muscle. What do you do to strengthen a muscle? You exercise it. How easy is it to exercise 
and really build a muscle. It means there's going to be some pain and some stress, some hardship, and you give it to that muscle, and over time, the muscle gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Do you see a difference the first day? No. Next week, probably not. A month, maybe not. But within months, maybe you do see some difference. And you see that you're, you're able to lift more than you were able to lift initially. And the faith just grows and grows and grows. That's what has to happen to the, to the faith muscle. The reality is building our faith is more like this. It's, this is where we've got to get this, guys. We've got to get this. Faith is not a feeling. I know we think that to the degree I have good feelings about what God says, to that degree I have faith. Not so. Great faith is seeing the facts as they are and maybe everything in you saying, I don't feel it. But the reality is God says it and therefore I'm going to step out on that limb. And maybe the limb looks at you and you say, God says I can step on that limb, but look how, look how skinny it is. Look how thin, look how frail, and look how heavy I am. And, and, and it's got to break. People are thinking, no, faith is when you sit there and say, I don't care what it looks like. God says it. I, no, I'm not even concerned. I'll just jump out on that baby. Not so. Faith is where we say, oh, I, I don't know. But God, you said it. Therefore, I'll do it. Do you think when Ab Abraham offered up Isaac, do you know the story? And God says to offer his only son, this was the son that had been promised to him, to Sarah, that is the hope of the many nations. And God says, now I want you to take his life. He wasn't going to let him take his life. But he put him in a position where, okay, let's see what happens. Do you think for a minute he goes up that mountain saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. Hey, you know what, I'll kill him, but you know, he'll maybe, he'll probably come back to life, or I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just go ahead with it. This is fine with me. No, I bet he was grieving in anguish and saying, no, God, please, 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 but God, because you say it, okay. Do you know that the scriptures nowhere, nowhere indicate that to the degree that you feel elation or excitement, or whatever it is, there is the way you know how much you love God. It's not true. Jesus even put it, it, one statement I know he made where he said, how do you know if you really love me? He says, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me should be loved by my Father. So it, you got it wrong. You see, it's a willful commitment to have faith. It's not emotional realm that I get into so that I can have faith. And that's what's stopping a lot of us from having faith. You say, I'm just not getting it. I don't have it. It's not coming. I don't feel it. Are feelings good? Yes. Nothing wrong with feelings. But God's not going to, he's not going to have us just feel. He said, I want you to trust. I want you to obey. I want to watch. And we do that and we go, okay, I'll, I'll get out on that limb and and we go out and we say, here I go, Lord. I wouldn't do it except you said to do it. And then we, we stand and what happens? That, that muscle builds a little bit. And then it's another step and the muscle builds a little bit. And a little another step and the muscle builds a little bit. Next thing you know, we go, I've become strong in faith. 
It is not what people tend to think of it being simply getting my emotion to a point that I'm excited and accept it and feel that it's going to happen. That's why there's so much danger in the whole issue of, of healing today. I'm going to get to that in just a second with a, a little illustration, but we've got to be very, very careful. Okay, if you have faith, it means you've got to believe, and that means if you really believe, if you get confident that you're going to be healed, you will be healed. That's what God's promised. No, it's not what God promised. So we begin to learn a little bit more. What is this faith? Abraham is the beautiful illustration. And even salvation. He is using Abraham's situation with infertility and to become the father of many nations. And he uses that to mirror what our saving faith is to be like. It's a belief. Now, if you start... If you start stepping out, saying, if I step out, then, then that means I'm going to do that in order that God will love me. Oh, man, you're, on, you're in terrible danger there. But if you step out because you say, I'm doing it because God loves me, and this is what God says, that's when you're in a good place. That's called faith. How many of you here would say you're pretty much now living life in certain areas Hope without hope. You're saying, I don't see any human hope. How many of you feel ugly right now? How many of you deep down inside say, I am one ugly person? I know I'm ugly. Where does faith come in? What you do is you look to say, well, what's truth? What does God say? Is there a promise? Is there a truth stated that I can? And I would say, well, if, if Jesus were to walk in the room and as a follower of Jesus, he were to ask you, knowing your heart, what you had to answer. And he's, would he say, would he say that you're ugly? Or would he say, no, you're not? Well, we search the word of God and we see that God's word makes it Pretty clear that we're all precious in his sight as his children. That's not ugly. We're beautiful to him. But we don't feel beautiful. How many of us here might feel uh, pretty valueless, you know, worthless? I'm not worth much. And all you do is you, you feel that. So what do you believe? You believe what you feel? So Okay, I'm... I'm valueless. I'm meanless. Who cares? Who cares about me? I'm worthless. Nobody cares. It's just not. You live in that for a while and you get just trapped because the truth sets you free and you're living in the lie against what God has to say. And God says, hey, you're made in my image. Are you kidding me? Valuable? You've got my image stamped all over you. Don't you dare say you're not valuable. How many of us would say, well, you know, I really, uh, I don't think it's worth trying any longer. I give up. I just, it's not even worth trying to be faithful to God. Not worth trying to da da da. And we say, but what does God's truth say? It says, keep striving. Keep striving. Keep seeking. Keep going after it. Well, but my feeling says, I don't care what your feeling says. You begin to realize that this faith thing has, has to do with the will of our heart. We give Him the will and emotions are the caboose that kind of follows the engine. And it's a beautiful thing to have, but the engine runs with or without the caboose as the illustration goes. 
You put faith into the fact. It's the, it's the coal car into the engine. Faith into fact. And it'll go. And it, it tugs along the feeling which comes. Which is a beautiful thing as God gives it. Consider it a blessing, a dessert. But it's not necessary for life. Do you realize that some of us have had our feelings kind of broken and twisted and just because of things that you weren't responsible for or I weren't responsible for, it's what our parents did or didn't do for us. There is emotional scars. There is there's emotional paralysis with some of us, and we don't feel. But that doesn't mean we can't relate to God and can't be people of faith. In fact, sometimes they're the ones that are the greatest people of faith. Because they're not people that say, I'm feeling good, therefore I am. I'm not feeling good, therefore I'm not. They don't go there. They say, God, I'm doing it because you are God and you said so. That's what builds faith. And we take a little step to something and that leads to a bigger step. You know, you, you may think that I'm all about, I'm saying this just to bring it back to money and we just got through a period where, but you know if you were here during our last month's and we talked about our all-in, and I taught a series that was preparing us for that. And as I talked about it, I, I kept thinking and trying to say it in every way I can to say, folks, I think it is the easiest illustration to where we see what God says about giving, and he says give, and we can willfully do it. Everybody can. And you start, and you take that step. And you build a faith and you say, God, look, you still took care of me. And then you take another step. It's, Carol and I, we've always said it's been our easiest way to build our faith is through financial issues. It's one of many ways, but it's just that little step followed by a little step followed by a little step. And it builds a great faith over time. How many of you here just feel God's left you? I just, I just feel he's gone. He's nowhere present. I don't hear him. I don't. I want people to say, you don't hear him. That's weird. You don't hear him? And that seems to bother you. Hey, I'm not hearing him either. But that doesn't bother me. Well, what do you mean you don't hear him? I mean, I didn't hear a voice. I didn't hear a word. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't feel God's presence with me. I said, well, does that matter? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But it has nothing to do with how special and real and good my time with the Lord might be. In fact, it might be the greatest season of all. When I have the privilege to obey and follow and yield the will to God when I don't feel like doing it. How much honor does that give to the Lord? That's why it says, and he gave glory to God as he became strong in faith. That is, in stepping. When you don't feel like it, but you step and you become strong in faith. That's what gives glory to our God. Abraham knew the facts, but God's word superseded the facts. Let's look at the last verses, 21 through 25. It goes, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteous. So there's the formula. It's, it's just believing, stepping out in belief. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. Notice this is Okay, he gets credited with righteousness, but it's written about. Why? So that now Paul's readers might believe it too. But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Now again, if you start stepping out because God says so, 
and you've got the thought, I'm going to do this in order that God will love me and he'll be, I'll be accepted by him and I'll be... No, no, no. Remember the attention is always, I do it because he loves me. And so the idea here is we have to get to know the truth of God and hang on to it and then follow. How do you do that? Well, I think you've got to have power. That's why you hear me constantly talking about appropriating the power of God's Spirit. Are you going to will your way into taking that first step? Don't go there. You say, God, I know that's where I want to go. That's where I'm planning to go by your strength and your help. But God, you have to empower me now. Fill me with your Spirit. Empower me to do this. And next thing you know, you're able to take the step. Always appropriate the power of God's Spirit, Christian. And seek her to take that first step. You're inviting God's Spirit to come into you so you can be empowered. He's got to save you. You're not going to save yourself. He is going to save you. Let me close with just stating three environments of faith. And then just maybe touching on a a couple of things real quickly. I think this might give you a, a better sense and understanding of what it should look like. Not what necessarily it is, but what it what it should look like. First of all, the first environment, faith is often born in the environment of failure. That's good news, isn't it? You know, there are two things that I know of myself regarding failure. The first one is, I hate failure. I bet all of us hate failure. Who loves failure? But at the same time, some of us hate it more than others. And I think I've got a pretty high batting average in this one. That's why I have to be so very, very careful that I don't perform for approval. And have you got that problem? Well, I hate it, but here's the second thing I've learned. I need failure. I don't just hate it, but I need it. That's conflicting. You know, all that starts, it starts at birth. I mean, it starts early on. Little kids, don't you see it with little kids? They want to win, want to win. I had a couple of my grandkids together out, and we were, we were playing golf, and they were young, and we are out hitting balls. And uh, one's got their back turned to the other because one's left-handed, one's right-handed, and one of them is keeping score. And the score was, can you hit the ball over a particular line we had drawn? Can you get the ball that far? And they both could do it. And so one of them who is, I mean, hates to lose. So he's got his back, and he's counting the score. He'd get one over, and he'd say, three to zero. Say, three, that's just one. He hadn't even seen behind him. And, and, then, and then it's 6 to 2, and then it's 9 to 4, and then it's 22 to, to 14. And we finished. And he turns around to his, to his first cousin, and he says, I won 22 to 14, which wasn't the score. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, you know what? I've been watching both of you, and actually, he got 24. My little grandson looked up and he said, you know, as I think about it, I think I had 28. (laughs) And I said, you know, this fruit doesn't fall very far from the tree, does it? (laughs) But we all, we're that way. We, We love to win. Abraham, you know, hated his failure. But look how important it was that he have that failure, that he might have the faith come through that very arena. Isn't that interesting? 
No saving faith for any of us until we see our moral failure. Do you see your failure? Number two, faith is always born in an environment of need. Always born in an environment of need. Abraham needed an heir, did he not? He had to have a child. How's he going to become the father of many nations if he can't even have one son? So he's got to have a child. Well, you and I have a need for a savior. And that's the means by which we become the possessors of righteousness. It's the need. You've got to see our need. I know, I, I think of my own father. I used to say to my father, don't you see about what God says? And when I'd become a Christian trying to tell him the answer, and he never saw a need. He said, you think I'm a bad person? And then I look at his life and say, no wonder he was so committed to good works and religious activity because he didn't see a need. You've got to see a need in order to find the answer. So where does faith come from? It comes from an environment, a great environment of need. I tell you, you look in the history of our church. You're going to see it over and over and over. How we come to the last hour and God provides. Last hour and God provides. You hear the $600 story that we tell at Taste of Perimeter. If you're not come, come. But if you've been there, you know. Oh my goodness, last hour. We see how we got this property. The last hour. Everything looked lost. I'm ready to close shop and say, it ain't going to happen. I'm out of here. And, and then last hour, boom, God gives it. You look at Jericho. Why should we be surprised? I always wondered, why, Jer why did God have Joshua walk around one time one day and then the next day and the next day and then the seventh day seven times? And Man, how much easier. Just walk around at one time. In fact, just blow horns and let the walls fall. God's doing it. Why all this extra? And it's because that's when faith is stretched. That's when God teaches us. Because remember, it's a little painful to stretch the muscle. And in that pain of the environment of failure and need is where faith is usually going to be born. We can suggest one last, and that would be, faith is always born in the environment of promise. There's a text that everybody needs to know. It's found in Romans 10, verse 17. It goes like this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You hear that? There is no faith without word. Faith is built on the word. It's the truth of God's word. It's the promise of God's word. So I don't care what it is that you're needing. I, I, I mean, you can name it. Name anything that you think you really need. And, and it, does God promise it? Does he say anything about it? That's, that's the way we take it. You know, the, the, uh, anybody had moral failure? Well, yeah, we all have. I have them every day. Some of us have these, I mean, life-changing moral failures. Well, what do we need? We need forgiveness. What does God's Word say? God's Word says if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that really true? Then I need to step out and embrace it and not wallow in my sin and how bad I am and I'll never be and I can't. And, no. You need power too, do you not? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes it real clear. There's no temptation taken. Uh, but it's common to man, and God is faithful, not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. Man, there it is. I better hang on to that. That's the answer to being able to build faith. It's finding what's the truth of God and saying, that's what I'm hanging on to. 
It's always in the environment of God's truth and his promises. Name the issue, whatever it is. Lastly, what about healing? That's been a hiccup for a lot of people. Well, now God's word does say, and I think if you believe, then he's going he's gonna to heal you. That's not true. He doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, I'll put up two bullet points here. I think these are the real realities that we need to understand. The reason that things we believe God will do and he doesn't, and that happens with all of us, can we put up those two? First, we misunderstand the promise of God, which is the case about healing. And number two, we misunderstand the nature of faith. Well, faith is not, faith is not saying, I actually think it's going to happen, therefore I have faith. No. What about the promise of God? Does God really say if you believe something, it will happen, whatever it is? No, he doesn't. Healing, that if you'll just, no, he does not say that. It was based on those misunderstandings that one of Carol and my dear, dear friends, a young Mary gal that uh, we went to college with and, and just very, very close to. And she got married, had a little child, got cancer, and was, was dying. Everybody knew she was dying. The doctor said so, and there'd been prayer over them. And does God heal? Absolutely God heals. Do we see healings here? Yes, we pray for healing. And they're God's little, little special little signs and, and reminders of the glory to come. But it's not the norm, the way of life. And so... They had the idea that, no, you're not having faith if you believe you're going to die. If you believe you're going to, then you're going to live. And then what happens when you die? Which was her case. So they never got to talk about what about our child and what do we want for our child. And after I'm gone, this is what I'd hope. And they never got to go there. It was just a misunderstanding of, of what faith is, a misunderstanding of the truth of God. So many people get so discouraged because I believed in what you said as I worked myself up to a feeling that it was going to happen and it didn't happen. Well, it won't unless God has absolutely promised it. If it's something that's according to the truth of God, and that's why, Christian, we have to study and find out what does God's word have to say. Root in there and figure it out. Folks, I don't know I don't know what your issue is right now that is the hardest thing to say, I'm going to believe God and I'm going to step. But my challenge is this. If it's to step into a faith of Christianity seeker, then I would simply do this. I would go to the Word of God and I would look at texts, some of them which say things like this, come to me and I will in no wise cast you out. Come to me and take him at his word. And submit your life to him as best you know how and say, I'm going to seek to follow. And I'm not going to believe I'm earning favor. I'm doing it because I have your favor. See what happens. Or for the Christian, I'd say to you Christians, find out whatever the issue is and say, now what does God's word have to say? And then once you see it, take it and think about it. And when you feel different, say, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to buy that for a minute. It's not true. I'm not going to think there. I'm going to think about what God has to say. And what's the action that takes that says, even if I feel that, felt that, that's what I would do. Then that's where I want to step. Move toward your greatest fears when those fears are saying God says so. That's what builds faith. Little bit by little bit by little bit. Young people become men and women of faith. It's never too late, adults. 
Let's become greater people of faith. As we pray together, let's bow. Father in heaven, give us a good understanding of faith. And we've got so many twisted things around us, hearing things that aren't true so often, and we, we get discouraged and we don't understand. I pray, Father, take the truth, that this be the truth, and drill it into our hearts in such a way that we believe you and we trust you and we become great people of faith. We hear the prayer of many here that are saying, I want to come to know you right now and dwell my heart and my intention is to follow after you. Grant it, we pray, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.